0: Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K-Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Rose, and I am excited to have Michelle with us today. Thanks for joining.
1: Thanks for having me, Caroline. I'm really excited. Um, I can't wait to talk with you today.
0: Why don't we start by you just giving us a little bit of background about how you're involved in agriculture and what you guys are up to these days.
1: Yeah, so I was born into farming and ranching. My dad had a dairy farm when I was younger, and then he transitioned into beef. And at that point, we actually moved from Minnesota to Montana. So I've now been in Montana for 20 years. Um, I was just looking at the date. So after high school, I went to college for accounting and you know, started my career in that. And my husband and I moved back home to his family ranch. And at that point, I was working in accounting um, at an accountant's firm. And I actually quit my job to start my own bookkeeping business. And pretty much from the beginning, I worked with farmers and ranchers because, you know, those were the people that I knew and who I related to the most and really connected with. So I've been, you know, serving the ag industry for about a decade now. And aside from the bookkeeping, I also went into consulting services as well. So that's pretty much what I do now is helping farmers and ranchers on everything on the financial side of things for their business.
0: I think that is the hardest topic and where we'll spend most of the time today. I am a big believer that part of the reason family operations don't succeed to the next generation is because we don't take ranching Seriously, in the business side, so talk a little bit about some of the things that you've learned, some of the things that you've been seeing as you're consulting that maybe we can kind of do an internal check and say, Ah, I'm kind of guilty of that. Um, when it comes to really viewing this business as a business,
1: yeah, I agree. It can be so hard because everyone's like, Well, it's just a way of life, you know, we just do it because we love to do it. And that's wonderful. And that's definitely going to help. But if you're not treating it like a business, you're going to struggle, I think, no matter what. And especially when it comes to working with family, it's so important to have the financial side of things transparent. You know, I know so many of like the ownership and leadership side of the business, they're kind of trying to keep that under wraps almost. You are only privy to a certain amount of information. And maybe one day you'll get to know the rest. And it's kind of like a big secret. How much money does the ranch make? You know, or how much money is everyone else making? Who's you know who's taking home what? And that's going to be a big um, factor in, you know, just overall, I think, people getting along, people working together well. Because, you know, even in a regular business, most of the time, their, you know, bosses are pretty open and honest about where they're at financially. You know, a a lot of businesses actually provide a financial report even to their employees. And um, it's interesting to me that farms and ranches aren't really on the same page with that right now.
0: Why do you think that is? Um, I think a little bit
1: of it might actually be shame because sometimes, or actually a lot of times in my opinion, it's because these places aren't as profitable as maybe like their kids think it is. And and also maybe they aren't spending their money wisely. And so it's putting the business almost at risk a little bit, but they don't want to admit that. And so it's just easier to not talk about it. It's easier to just hide it, to kind of gloss over it.
0: One of the things that I've really noticed more in particular the last, I don't know, five years is it seems as if ranchers are pay- playing this game. Not all, right? So we're talking... A set number of ranchers. So if you're listening and saying we don't do this, don't think we're we're blaming this on you. But it's almost like how little taxes can I pay? Meaning that I'm not gonna show any profit. And what we're finding is then when you have a third party analyze the business, doesn't look like the business is worth any money because we have not been profitable for the past couple of years. And somehow in agriculture we have gotten this mentality that taxes are the devil, which I understand. It's not like I love writing my tax check every year, but it does mean that the business is being profitable. And so how do you think we got into that mentality and what damage can that mentality do? Yeah, I really think you
1: hit the nail on the head there. It is There is so much fear behind paying taxes and I really, It's so interesting because it's like really the only industry in my mind where it's something that people will almost do anything to get out of it. You know what I mean? And they're making purchases that they absolutely don't need in order to reduce their tax bill, you know, when that money could just have been profit. And, And, you know, probably should have been most of the time. And a lot of times there's almost this mentality of, well... You know, I want a brand new pickup every year and I want this every year and that's great if you can afford it. And I know some people really can. And I'm so happy for them that they are, you know, that profitable and that they make that amount of money. But sometimes it's actually just like a status symbol. Their neighbor gets a new pickup truck and they're like, well, why don't I have a new pickup truck? But yeah, and I just think I really can't, I don't know where the avoiding taxes came from, but I know I don't want to pick on CPAs at all because I know and love a lot of really great CPAs. But I think sometimes their client comes to them and says, how do I not pay taxes? And the CPA just tells them, well, this is how, and it's not even really a conversation of why are you trying to avoid taxes or what can we do differently? It's just like a... 32nd conversation and they're like, "Yep, this is what you can do." And so I think sometimes the, you know, the tax preparers or the CPAs, they could almost be doing a better job of saying, "Hey, maybe it doesn't make sense to purchase this equipment or whatever. Maybe it does make sense for you to pay some taxes this year and have a little bit of money in your pocket or to put some of that money towards operating next year and not take as much of an operating note out." Or so I think sometimes that role where a CPA can really be an advisor, they sort of shy away from it because maybe they're worried they're going to lose business or something along the lines of that. But I do think that really it's something that all advisors should be more empowered to do and to say is, hey, this is what I'm seeing and these are my suggestions and avoiding taxes isn't always going to be the best answer for you.
0: I hear it every year this time of year, I got to buy some bread cows so I don't owe them any money you know, for tax purposes, I got to do X, Y, and Z. And I just, it's almost like it's so ingrained in us this way that we view agriculture as a business. If someone was starting from scratch, or someone was looking at their books, you know, a, a lot of our listeners are the next generation. What are kind of three or four key things that they should either start doing or make changes that we can really Turn this into what is a business structure versus a lifestyle structure.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I think just starting off is planning. And we all know that, you know, the best laid plans often go awry, but without some sort of basic financial plan, you're going to be lost. So everyone should know about, you know, what's the least amount of money we intend to make on our calves this year. Or, you know, when we're selling our crops or whatever, and kind of know what's your bottom line income is going to be. And by knowing that number, then you can kind of work backwards what are our fixed expenses, you know, the ones that are not going to change, the ones we have to make every year. And then also what are our more variable expenses that might depend on the weather, or if we really, you know, if we have a breakdown and we need to buy a new piece of equipment, then you kind of are building a little bit of a I guess a profitability padding for yourself, and you need to include in that number what should we be making because a lot of farmers often forget to pay themselves. They might be working off the farm, and so they think, Well, I, you know, I'm just doing this for the fun of it, I don't really need to be paid, which isn't true. Um, and so they forget that their profit needs to include what they're making or if they're getting a paycheck or whatever. And so that's just going to be the basis of it is from the beginning, knowing what you're hoping to make and what you know that you need to spend and if you have some extra money what you could spend if you you know if you wanted to and then from there you want to be doing accurate and thorough bookkeeping and i've always used quickbooks online and recommended it for my clients it just has always seemed to work best for me but there are a lot of different options out there so when it comes to that i always say that the person who's doing the bookkeeping probably should have the most say in deciding you know which Program you're using or method. You know, some people are still using Excel. If that works good for them and, you know, they're able to do that well, that's okay too. I don't want people to feel like they need to be on some kind of fancy platform that might be above their abilities. There's definitely nothing wrong with that. And the benefits to having a platform like QuickBooks is you can look back as far as you want to that you've been entering your financials. You know, I have clients who've been in there for five years, so we can look back at five years of previous financials, which is so helpful. But to make sure that you're doing your bookkeeping really at minimum on a monthly basis, which once again is almost like sacrilegious to some people, you know, they're they're doing their bookkeeping for the sake of taxes. Once again, they know, oh, well, I'm going to need these numbers to my accountant by, you know, November, December so that we can figure out what our tax write-offs need to be. And, you know, they're, once again, they're just determined on what, what the tax implication is going to be. But if you're doing your bookkeeping on a monthly basis, You're more going to be focused on knowing where your income and your revenue is going to be and where all of your expenses are. And are things a little bit higher or lower than you first anticipated? And it kind of gives you some time to actually be able to make changes as you're going along instead of at the end of the year saying, oh, well, we made a lot less money than we thought we would. What are we going to do now? Or, you know, vice versa. Or we have some extra cash. Where should we spend it? You have a little bit more time to think about those things instead of, you know, having a month to two weeks at the end of the year to be put down to those decisions, which I feel like people don't always make the best decisions when it comes to such a tight time frame. So that's definitely the second thing is if you're able to do your bookkeeping regularly, do it at least monthly. And along with that, I like to see people providing their financial statements to the members of their team. And so the important financial statements are going to be your income statement, which a lot of people call your profit and loss, um, your balance sheet, and then your statement of cash flows. And so if you're taking these three financial statements and you're letting everyone who is a stakeholder or who maybe even is interested in seeing that, and you're all sitting down and you're looking at this and they can ask questions, you know, you're kind of opening it up for a conversation about what is actually happening on the business side of things. I think that's going to really you know, just improve communication, improve transparency, and really help everyone to know what's really going on. And it's not a big secret. It's just, it is what it is. Hiding it isn't going to make it any better or worse. It's just going to, you know, it just is what it is. So I think sometimes there's so much emotion that's connected to these financial statements when really they're just the numbers that happened. It's already happened. There's nothing you can do about it at this point. So all you can do is plan for the future.
2: Are you wanting to start a cattle operation or learn new hands-on skills? Our team knows it's hard to find resources when it comes to learning how to vein cattle or how to brand or even what you need in your vet kit. If you're wanting to learn those skills and more, you won't want to miss this year's profit finder. With access to over 25 videos and resources, you can learn hands-on skills from the comfort of your own operation. We created this toolbox for any cattle producer just starting out. We went back to the basics and explained everything from the ground up. You can join the waitlist today and learn more at backslash profit profitfinder
0: I do think it makes us a little nervous to talk about money, in particular in any business, but especially when family's involved. And I think that it's much easier, right, to just not bring it up, but it's really hard to set goals to set accountability to set responsibility when people don't know the direction and it's okay if maybe you don't want to post 100% of your debt you know and you just want to say here's the number or here's the debt decrease from last year you know whatever but i do think that if you expect people to be able to make some accountability and have make some decisions They need to know what they're working with, and they also need to know if it worked.
1: Right. Yeah. It's in my mind, it's so hard to expect this next generation to just blindly follow when, in a a lot of times, it might not even really be possible that they can even stay ranching. You know, I know you've talked about this before, I think on your podcast with Mary Pat, how. A lot of times, these ranchers, the ranch is their retirement. You know, that's their plan. So, if that's their retirement plan, were they ever intending? You know, it's almost like they expect the kids to stay on the ranch, but at the same time, they always want to have that ability to just liquidate if needed. So, it puts the kids in such a tricky situation because, you know, we want to be there and support, but also we're thinking, Well, if you're going to sell this much of the ranch to retire, how are we going to be able to run the ranch? And then also, what are our plans for retirement? So yeah, just having that open conversation is going to make all of that so much simpler and making any transition simpler, really, because you just can't expect someone to walk into a situation blind and say, oh, well, (laughs) I know a lot of ranchers are like, this is what my dad did to me. So this is what you get. And that's just not a good excuse anymore.
0: The retirement issue gives me gray hairs because mm-hmm. it is such a disservice. And I don't want to criticize our grandparents or our parents. I don't know that they knew better, but we know better and we can do better. But there is nothing worse than knowing that the responsibility of taking care of your parents or grandparents is in your hands because... That's the only option. If you want to make the operation survive, you have to also feed your family for generations. And I just don't think the profit margins there these days to do that. And one of my hopes is that my generation can be the generation that changes and starts to invest and kind of diversifies the portfolio a little bit. But I don't know that with inflation and with Interest rates and all of that, like we can, you know, my generation can pay for two or three generations' meals on the table. Like, I just don't think that's gonna work. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And
1: you know, we've had this conversation with our own ranch, and my husband and I actually ended up two years ago buying our own place because it just the numbers weren't there, it literally wasn't feasible. My father-in-law was thinking about retiring, but the ranch, you know, both my, my husband and his brother are the only two siblings, and they were both already working outside the ranch. So I was like, they can't work more outside the ranch, you know? You guys don't have any retirement in place. So for us, we just had an opportunity to buy some land, and we thought, well, this is really our only opportunity to to ranch, you know, in, in the long term and we still of course have that obligation to them to essentially take care of them until you know into their old age but i guess at least now we have a little something of our own and and it's not going to be a fight when that time comes we feel at peace with our decision and i guess that's really all you can do is kind of try to do what's best for you and makes you feel you know at peace but i do think that the retirement is something that is so important and The earlier, the better. You know, if you have a job outside the ranch, max that IRA, that 401k out as much as you can, especially early on, because that's going to be, I think, one of the ways that we're going to be able to make it work. And then, like you said, diversify assets, not just having ag assets, having assets outside of that that can make you money. But yeah, it's it's going to be, we really are going to be in an interesting situation. And a lot, some of us already are, but you know, in at least 10, 15, 20
0: years. I agree. It's, it's something that I don't think, I think we used to kind of think of it as a flex. Like we didn't take any income. We put it all back in the land. We really were just doing everything to prepare this for our children. And yet there's not really preparation. I mean, we see it on all levels, right? Wills, succession plans, financials, And it just, it's really sad to me because I'm guessing it was just misguided information that we didn't think about and it's haunting generations and it's going to be haunting generations because this land is so valuable that it's hard to take over and it's hard to keep everyone fed and happy. And I mean, it's just a big disaster. And I think a lot of us are going to have fresh slates, whether we buy land or whether we. You know, do it a little bit different, and I think there's all these opportunities to kind of be the change that we wish we could make in the next generation.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'm seeing a lot of people. You know, in our generation, they are they're doing vertical integration. You know, they're trying to get those extra dollars wherever they can. They're not selling their calves to the feedlots; they're retaining ownership or they're feeding them out themselves and they're selling them direct to consumers because. You have to. Otherwise, there's just not the, the money is not there. And I know that you know about that, too, because we're just trying to figure out how can we make this as profitable as possible? And once again, it comes back to those financials. If you don't know where you're at, you don't know what you need to do to get where you want to be. So it's just it's really so important to know your numbers.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that kind of added income. It seems as if every operation that I am fairly confident will last until the next generation, which I say that very lightly because you never know if they've signed the dotted line on that estate plan or not. And that's really what determines if they're going to last. I mean, they look super successful from here. And if no one knows what's happening and there's multiple, I mean, it's a wreck, but they all have some type of added value. And I think it's important to think about added value. And I know a lot of people jump to farm to table, but I'm not sure farm to table is really that profitable for most operations. So I don't know if you've been digging into any of those numbers or if you have any customers, but I think farm to table is less profitable because we don't pay ourselves for the animal than what we actually think it is. So do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, a lot of it is going to come down to cost of feed. What type of feed are you feeding? How much time is put into it? Because there is a lot of time input into that, you know, farm to table when it comes to, you know, feeding up your livestock. And so where I've seen a good amount of profitability is actually going to be like more on the grass fed side of things. There's a lot less input. Usually the grass is already there. You don't need a lot of extra employees and a lot of extra time to do it. You're kind of just running alongside your cow-calf side of things. So that's where I've seen profitability. And then also anywhere where you have access to a bigger market. I would even say like almost a bougie market. Some of the people that I know that are very profitable at it are in Missoula, Helena. They have access to these people who really have the money to spend you know they know that they're paying for high quality animals if your buyers are budget shoppers if they're just thinking well if i buy a whole beef now and i can fill my freezer for a year the money isn't necessarily there as much as it is with um you know people who are really willing to spend a lot of money on a very high quality animal and sometimes that doesn't mean the best marbling you know a lot of these people are very eco-conscious and environmentally conscious and to them they're thinking well i think grass-fed is best for the environment so that's might be a reason behind it it might be the health benefits so sometimes it's just about what product are you selling and do you have the right market for it how are you positioning it um but yeah that's where i'm definitely seeing a little bit more profitability for people is if they're able to really get a premium on that product that they're making
0: and I think the other interesting thing that I'm learning about added value is we almost don't know the possibility. So carbon credits, we just talked about this in the Cattlemenia membership. To me, it's a really hard concept to grasp, I'll be completely honest, because it's almost not, it's not tangible, the buying and selling of carbon credits, but it's a way to add revenue, you know, and agritourism is a way to add revenue and All of these things that I don't even know we know are possible. Um, I mean, Land Trust, we had them on the podcast. That's a great way to add some added revenue. And the thing that I think about is in agriculture, we have a lot of grit and we kind of pride ourselves in grit and getting the job done. But sometimes I think we work too hard and I don't think we value our time enough and I don't think we value ourself monetarily enough. And I'm just not sure, you know, I'm noticing that a little bit with my generation, but I'm not sure my kids' generation will want to work for $30,000 a year or be able to work for $30,000 a year. And so we're going to have to get creative on operations. And that's one of the things that I love about bringing women into operations is they're a little bit more susceptible, just naturally, to think about agritourism or to think about leasing out your farm equipment or whatever it may be. But I, I really think we have to do more of that to be a multi generational operation.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned because I swear everything that you've just talked about is something that I've talked to my husband about. I'm like, these are some great opportunities. We need to really because right now on our place we have an outfitter, and you know we make okay money on it, but I know that we can make so much better money if we did, you know, work like directly with hunters. But once again, it's, you got to worry about, you know, people being on your place. And my husband is so concerned that someone's going to start a fire or, you know, just things like that, that I totally get. But for me, I'm looking more of like the long-term, can we make another 20,000 make doing this? And if we can do that five times, that's a hundred thousand dollars a year. That's how I'm looking at things is can we just take each little thing and just improve it a little bit and make a little bit more money. And if we're able to do that, you know, that could be a living wage for our kids because like you said, 30,000 isn't going to cut it. It doesn't hardly cut it for our generation we need to be looking at double that, triple that for the next generation to be able to really come back and live comfortably. And what you said about farmers and ranchers just working harder, it resonates with me so much because my dad is like that. He's up at 4am. He doesn't go to bed until 10 o'clock, you know, and he's just of the mindset. If he just works a little bit harder, a little bit longer, things will work out. And there's really not time to think about the business if you do that, because you're just doing the next thing. You're just keeping yourself busy and hoping that it all works out. And so taking time to step back and really think about, was that a good use of my time? I think that is something that we're thinking about a little bit more than you know our parents were. And hopefully the next generation is even better than us. And you know, I'm excited for my kids and all the great ideas that they're going to have. And I think that having that open mind is also going to help the next generation be involved in the ranch because you can't assume that you know everything or that you've done everything the best. I hope that the next generation can improve upon what we've done a little bit better and, you know, things just getting a little bit better with each generation. That's really all we can hope for to make things sustainable, really.
2: Are you trying to find the right planner to start the new year with? Look no further. We have created the Cattle U Planner for ranch wives, mothers, and daughters who are looking for the perfect place to capture all of their thoughts throughout the year. Our planner is the perfect guide to help you get your operation started. In the Cattle U Planner Paving Your Path, you will create the foundation for your operation, set goals, and learn how to implement them. We've included our customer favorite blank calendar pages, so you can start when you're ready. Join the waitlist today at cattlemenulive.com backslash planner. To get a sneak peek of some of the new sections in the planner, you can go to cattlemenulive.com backslash preview.
0: In agriculture, we are so guilty of thinking that busy work is productive work and I'm a habit stacker. So anytime I hear someone say, oh, well, we're going to drive around and look at the cows for a couple hours. I'm like, can you be making phone calls? Could you be listening to a podcast? Could you be like, what else can you be doing that's going to move the needle forward on the business? And granted, we need some downtime. Don't I'm not saying you work, you need to work seven days, you know, 18 hour days. But sometimes I think that we choose the way to do things based on if we're around the cattle more that means it's better work versus being a little bit more productive and hands off and i'm i'm not saying that you should never look at your cattle like don't hear that i'm just wondering how much time we're wasting and if we figured out our hourly rate could we hire someone to do that one of the things that i've been really pushing in our operation is to hire a mechanic that comes on a saturday or sunday we pay them 40 50 an hour right they work four hours a weekend so they get 200 and they just maintain the equipment we're not mechanics we don't like to mechanic and we always have something broken down and i'm like how if we paid someone for two four hours a weekend it's an extra side hustle for them and They just maintain our equipment. How many breakdowns could we save? How many trips to town could we save to get last minute parts? And we just have to be thinking a little different, I think, to survive in this industry.
1: Yeah, yeah, that preventative mindset. It really, I would say most ranchers that I know are more like, there's a fire, I'm putting out this fire. Now I'm gonna move to the next fire. They're never thinking of like, oh, how can we completely avoid this fire whatsoever? um it's just kind of running from emergency to emergency and i think a lot of that is just because from the day one they really didn't have all the tools that they needed maybe they started with you know bad equipment and just kept on with it or whatever but i completely agree with that it is it's so hard to be able to really make a difference when you're just trying to go behind and fix everything that's broken or whatever rather than thinking ahead and so yeah I think that's it's, it's that way with most advisors. I think people are so, you know, where they're so concerned about what the money is going to cost, but then they forget, well, what are you going to be able to do with that time? And honestly, a mechanic can probably do in an hour what it would take you four hours to do. So you've just quadrupled your time there, really. The amount of money you've spent on them, you've, you know, they might have only spent an hour doing it, but you're not a mechanic. You probably can't do what they can do as well you might be causing more issues than you know you're fixing because that's often how it is around here i feel like we fix something and we just end up breaking something else so i i do think that that's a a different way of looking at things that we miss sometimes
0: i agree you talked a little bit about advisors and i apologize we haven't even gotten into what does it look like to advise how do you know you're ready for an advisor You know, and and when someone's considering hiring an advisor, how do we go, you know, about kind of vetting them and making sure that they're the right fit for our operation?
1: Yeah, I found that especially in the ag industry, you can find someone who's super smart. They really know what they're doing, but they don't have any background in agriculture. And so it's so hard to come from, you know, another industry construction or whatever and then be able to turn your eyes on agriculture and really understand what's happening. I just think for me, yeah, definitely find someone who knows what they're doing. But if they have a little bit of that agricultural background, even if it's just understanding the basics, they're going to be able to really help you the best. And that's what I always recommend is try to find someone who understands what you're doing. You know, at the very base level. Otherwise You know, I've seen a lot of failures where it's just like they just don't end up getting it and their suggestions are probably not bad, but they come in a way that is just going to be so off-putting, you know what I mean? Like, they really just don't understand what it's like to be in the industry and the struggles that we have and, you know, these generational issues that we're facing. It isn't like working with any other business, honestly. It's so different
0: in a good and a bad way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love all of my clients and I wouldn't trade them for the world, but I understand them on a way that most other bookkeepers don't because they just aren't in the industry or, you know, other consultants don't. And so it, you know, I love them to death and sometimes I have to give them, you know, some hard truth and they don't like it, but I always do my best to be as honest with them as possible because without that, the relationship doesn't work. And um, I think that's something else too. If if your advisor, you know, like we were talking with the CPA, they're afraid to tell you something or to make a suggestion, it's not a good fit because they need to have your back. They can't just be a blind follower to you and just do whatever you say. Obviously, if you ask them to do something, they should follow through with that, but it's okay to question the people that you're working with. And I think it's actually a good thing to have people questioning you And, you know, making sure that you are making the right decision. You know, I have clients who have pushed back and they say, we're not going to do that, but I appreciate your input. And that's okay. But at least they took the time to think about my suggestions.
0: And I think having a team of people around you is so valuable. There's no business out there that doesn't have a professional team, an attorney, uh, you know, real estate agent, all the... And in agriculture, sometimes we want to be so... Close fisted, that we forget how much value that an advisor can bring. But also, you know, I think it's important to interview some and to make sure, you know, I always say you want to work with someone, Dave Ramsey says it, but who has the heart of a teacher. And if you feel like it's an area you don't know very well, retirement, investing, things like that, you got to work with someone who's going to teach you. And I just think we need to surround ourselves with more people than we are in general in agriculture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's like this pride and I'm independent. I can do it all myself. I don't need that help. But even sometimes it's just someone to talk to, you know, I don't always give my clients advice. Sometimes I just let them talk about what they're going through. And, you know, it's kind of like being... You know, a little bit of a therapist, and and that's fine. You know, it's just being able to understand their struggles and help them through that is sometimes all it takes. But it can be very lonely being a rancher today. And getting help, there's nothing wrong with getting help. And I also think that if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you probably need to do a little bit of soul searching. I'm always a big believer. I can learn something from anyone that I meet. You know, and I think just having that curiosity with anyone that we encounter is important too on growing as a person and helping our business grow as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, we'll encourage our customers to reach out if they're looking for an advisor in the ag space, because I just know that what you offer is really helpful and just kind of having a third perspective on things can be really nice. Just when you're looking to grow your business or be better or cycles, I mean, all of those self-development things that we do, I think having someone that you really trust in your kind of board of directors is important. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's get into the rapid fire questions here. Okay. We're come questions of the day: uh, What is your favorite cut of steak, and how do you like to eat it?
1: T-bone on the grill.
0: Ooh, a t-bone. I've recently started experimenting with more cuts of beef. I know. I think when your freezer is full of it, you eat the same things. Yeah. And so I made a whole tenderloin over the weekend for the very first time. And several of my friends said, oh, I think that's our new favorite. So we're always <laughs> experimenting around here. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have a Traeger and we pretty much anything we could cook on the Traeger is going to turn out delicious. So that's usually my go-to. Even in the winter, I'm out there and it's like 20 degrees and I'm still grilling.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Um, Okay. What is an ag industry topic that you think needs talked about more often?
1: Well, I think um, transition planning in general. I know this is more of a topic of conversation right now, but we need to, I guess it's kind of, we need to quit talking about it and just start doing it. We need to make these transition plans. We need to be making sure these wills are airtight. We need to make sure that everyone has the buy in so that there's not hiccups at the end of the line and so that everyone can be on the same page and be transparent. So that's what I would say.
0: I would agree with you. I think we do a lot of talking, not a lot of action, and then we complain because the generation above didn't do it and then we don't have it ready so if you're (laughs) listening to this and you're involved in agriculture anyway you need a will you need a plan doesn't matter if you're not the owner things Mm -hmm. can happen you have a vehicle maybe you have some retirement accounts that get it on paper get it written down uh next what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given
1: oh boy you know I think for me it's just putting myself in other people's shoes I feel like i have just learned that I can really relate with anyone if I try to understand them. And so you know that's helped me connect with people because there are people that I know that I really on surface level have nothing in common with but once we get to know each other better, I'm like, wow, we're actually a lot more alike than I thought. So just being able to, yeah connect with people in that way and putting yourself in their shoes has has helped me a lot um, in my life.
0: Yeah, seeing the other side of the story really helps understand what they're going through. Okay, last question. What is your non-career dream job?
1: So if I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now, I think I would be a flower farmer, honestly.
0: That sounds amazing.
1: It sounds so fun, you know, you could just be surrounded by beauty all the time and I would still be working on the land and you know in the dirt and everything, but just in a different capacity.
0: (laughs) Yes, one of our customers, Grey Girl Farms, Every time I look at her Instagram reels, I'm like, dang, I'm running a backgrounding lot with my family and you have all these pretty flowers. It's quite a really? different view. For sure. Yeah, that I agree. That sounds like wonderful. Okay, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your expertise. And we'll put all of your social media handles and your website and everything in the show notes. And the other thing too, that I just want to encourage people. If you don't feel like you're ready for a full-time advisor, one of the things that we do once a year is a planning meeting. We do it internally for K-Rose Company. We do it for Cattleman U. We do it for the rancher's daughter. We do it for our family business, our cattle. We set goals. We get them posted publicly for the team to see. We set metrics of success. We def- redefine roles and sometimes that means we hire a person to come in at one time and look at things and say are these goals achievable do these make sense and so that might be a perfect place to get your foot wet is to hire someone to come in and review your goals one hour 30 minutes of their time and you know you don't have to jump in and hire someone who's going to do your books every month like if that feels uncomfortable there is a lot of gray between black and white, and you can find a happy medium in that gray that stills progress. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I'm so happy that I was able to join you today. Of course. Thanks again for listening to the Cattle You Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember, the grass is greener where you water it.